When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your girl, Jessie Mae Peluso. Another day, another dollar. You ready to listen to this bitch holler? Hey, I am so pumped. This is such a jam-packed week for myself. It's finally come to fruition. So many things I've been working on that I could have never accomplished without your support and your continued support. Please tell your friends about the podcast. Let them know to rate and review us. Share it with anybody who you think would enjoy it, benefit from it, learn, grow, be motivated and inspired because that's my goal with this podcast. And I think we're achieving that. I know we are. I feel it. I read it. I read all the messages. Well, most of the messages between myself and Debbie. We are eyes and ears on the ground with you guys. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. We made it to 10,000 subscribers on the YouTube page. I know that sounds like such a small number, but I started with 1,000 in the beginning of the year. And I just think that's a huge accomplishment. I had never really put as much effort into YouTube as I should have, probably, according to people who are making millions of dollars off of the site. But my goal is never to make money off of what I do. It's to make an impact, and hopefully I can have a good living as well. But my good living consists of adopting animals and sucking Brad Pitt's dick. So, you know, tomato, tomato. I honestly appreciate you so much. And I am so excited about the 10,000 subscribers and make it more. My goal for the end of the year is 100,000. So I think we can not, well, not by the end of the year, within a year. (laughs) Fuck it by the end of the year. No, by next year having 100,000 subscribers. Fuck it, a million by the end of next year. I just really made it a very ambitious goal. By the end of 2022, I want a million subscribers. A million, a million, all the mycelium in the ground. What is going on? Shrooms every day with my coffee. Take a breath. I feel like I said all of that on one breath. And it's because I'm just, I'm I'm running on gratitude. Is that cheesy? (laughs) Sounds like something Matthew McConaughey says in the morning. All right, all right, all right. This brother is energized by Jesus and gratitude. I truly am. There's so much happening this week. First of all, it's the kickoff of my personal tour, Wide Open. We're starting this Sunday in Austin, Texas. I will be going to visit my buddy Rogan, filming Rogan on Friday, and then doing one show in Austin, Texas, August 1st at Full Can Gas Company. One show, one night, your girl. Check it out, jessiemay.com for tickets. Wide Open Tour is coming to ya. 
We are coming to Connecticut, New Jersey, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Key West, Florida. Um, I have the list right here. So many places. Alaska, British Columbia, Alberta, Canada. Excuse me. New York City with Carly. Our girl tour has kicked off as well. My girl Carly Aquilino, we're doing a few dates together. Um, I'll also be in Sacramento, California. Uh, Providence, Rhode Island, Poughkeepsie, New York, Atlanta, Georgia, back in Austin, Texas with Carly, uh, Atlanta with Carly, Key West, Florida, uh, Plano, Texas, Minneapolis, Minnesota, ending the year in Syracuse, New York. And I also am squeezing in a San Francisco date in there somewhere. JessieMay.com for tickets for the wide open tour and for the girl tour. Girl is featuring my girl, Carly Aquilino, her and I will be on tour together. Uh, we, I'm so excited. All this stuff I've been working on in quarantine is coming together. Our girl podcast, G-Y-R-L, Giving You Real Life. That's what it stands for. That podcast will be, it should be out by the end of July, beginning of August. And our tour dates are available so you can come see us do stand-up. And we're going to be recording our podcast live as well. I may do some live sh- uh, sharp tongues from the road. I'm not sure yet, but for now, it's just a girl tour with Carly and I where we're going to be recording live podcasts. And the wide open tour is just featuring myself and any dates you see with Carly build on there is our girl tour just to make it all simple and easy. And also, you guys, my Netflix show is airing on Wednesday. <laughs> Oh my God. I hosted a show for Netflix. We filmed it in quarantine while I was losing my mom. Uh, I can get into a whole episode with you guys and I'll, I'll, I'll do a solo episode. It's been a hot minute, but this week isn't that, but I'll get into all the emotions surrounding everything that I've worked on this past year and it coming together this week. It just feels so intense in good ways and bittersweet in other ways, you know, huge dreams of mine are coming true and the two most important people in my life aren't physically here. So I need you guys. (laughs) And as vulnerable as that is, I think it's okay to say, I need you to come out and support. Tell your friends to come out and support my Netflix show. Please binge it. Binging is the way to get a season two. So binge the fuck out of it. It's called Tattoo Redo. It comes out July 28th, this Wednesday. It was filmed by Best Production Company, Kevin Bartell. We had Chris Nunez on staff, amazing tattoo artist, uh, Maria, uh, Miriam Lupini, Tommy Montoya, Twig Sparks, Matt Ber- um, Berkerich, and um, am I missing? I feel like I'm missing somebody. Oh, oh, Rose Hardy, my girl Rose Hardy. All of us worked in quarantine. We worked our asses off and put together this really fun fucking show for you. It's called Tattoo Redo. Check it out my tour wide open premiering this week in Austin, Texas. Check it out August 1st at Vulcan gas company. I'll be on Rogan. Also girl tour is kicked off. Get your dates coming to New York city, October 9th, Atlanta, November 13th in Austin, Texas, November 18th to the 20th with Carly Aquilino. Also live podcast recordings. And I'm here this week on this podcast that I love so much with somebody who is very inspiring. My guest this week is chair of the Lenox Hill Neurosurgery and a neurosurgeon. 
He also is the star of Lennox Hill on Netflix. Hey, Netflix brother. He is the founder of Playback Health and also a mentor of a group he's dubbed the Brain Turns. He's doing so much for neurosurgery, especially for bringing females into the industry. And he really wants to create more of a space where women can become neurosurgeons because we aren't as heavily represented in this industry. So I had such a great conversation. I sat down with this guy. We shared a tequila and talked basically about tequila and brain surgery. Please welcome my guest, neurosurgeon, Dr. David Langer. Sharp Tongue Podcast. Beep, 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 beep. You're listening to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse May Jessie Peluso. Peluso. It's a personal look. Well, it's not really a look because it's a podcast. I'm already fucking this up. This is kind of like a verbal comedy diary, a deep look into the crevices of my mind. It's going to get dirty. You might cry. You probably laugh. Hopefully you'll laugh. The whole point is for you to laugh, but you also might cry. I talk about my family. I talk about farts. farts. I talk about love, loss comedy how hard it is to make it in this biz i'm a fucking professional each week it's something different sometimes i have a guest host sometimes it's gonna be a movie companion episode sometimes i just ramble about the bullshit i dealt with the week before you never know what you're gonna get it's raw uncut and funny it's me dr langer we have started recording and prior to us starting you and i had a little chit chat and you know sometimes i'll enjoy a little something something on the podcast you know a little, maybe marijuana. We're not sure. My house is filled with it. Anyways, I have my tequila. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's the, got the, oh, the cucumber jalapeno. I think have we you, have one of those. This that's a good one. Yeah. It's a really good one. And I'm trying to get them to sponsor the pod. So 21 seeds. Love 21 seeds. Yeah. It's, we actually just take, we just take Casamigos and just put peppers into it. <laughs> yeah. See, people are really sleeping on the pepper effect with tequila. Yeah. It really does. It, it helps your neurons fire more. There's That's no science. question. It is the best drink. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, you came into my life when, during a time when my sister and I were binging on Netflix and on the heels of me educating myself about Alzheimer's and the effects of and in things that you do to your life to make yourself more susceptible. And then we found your show and my sister was obsessed and she's like, you need to have him on the podcast because you already talk about brain stuff, but also because he's kind of dreamy. And I was like, okay, back up. He's married happily with a beautiful wife and children. Here you are. Yeah. (laughs) And I want to thank you for taking time out because I would imagine being a chair on the chair and a neurosurgeon is a very busy life. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really look at it. I I love what I do and, um, there some days suck, but, uh, for the most part, I enjoy my work. So I don't, I don't really look at it as work. It's, it's really been super, I I have fun most of the time. Well, today we're having fun. So cheers to tequila Fridays. Thank you for joining us. You look like you have fun also, by the way, you know, Probably a lot more fun than I do. Well, let's just say this. If I sneeze, no one's going to (laughs) die. I hope that doesn't happen to me. (laughs) You know, your job, your career and calling, I think it's more, you know, obviously you and I are similar in the the, uh, sense that we have found something that we feel we were put on earth to do or something that called to us to pursue. Um. But it's interesting that you say, you know, we both love what we do. What is one of the things you love most about 
your job and your career and what you do for a living? Um, it's evolved, honestly. You know, I think I uh, was originally attracted just the, the, the just the uh, magnificent surgery. Um, it's actually gotten better because of this exoscope that was in the show. This video, um, we we operate off of a sort of large screen now. It's this 4K, a high definition 3D, and um, so all of a sudden, this kind of the beauty of of the of neuroanatomy, which is the reason why I love neurosurgery, is open for everyone. It's, it's just been an extraordinary experience to use this thing, but that's kind of at the end, you know, the beginning was, you just wanted to be, do great cases, you know, save lives, you know, very idealistic. Um, it's a lot of work, uh, a lot of pain and suffering. Um, over time, the whole Lennox experience sort of opened up another side of me for sure. That luckily enough was sort of, I think I was, it's still, I still am in evolution, but it sort of came out during the show, I think of kind of this transition from being a leading neurosurgeon to be a neurosurgical leader. And, um, you know, anybody, it's, it's not, it's not easy to be like a top anything, whether it's in, you know, radio broadcaster, comedian, podcast maker that takes, you know, a certain skill, certain talent, it's very selfish, certainly entertainment. There's a lot of narcissism and, and me, and you have to promote yourself and, you know, neurosurgery is really not that different, but I think to make this transition to building a group and a culture uh, and and, be, and really having a larger imprint, um, it sort of started around the time of the Netflix filming, and it, it's morphed into something that's extraordinary. It's been really a very challenging thing to make that transition from always worrying about yourself and how cool the cases you're doing to making sure you're your junior guys, or your partners are supported and they are as excited about what they're doing as you are. And I, I still struggle with it sometimes, to be honest, to be totally vulnerable because I still love to operate, but you know, you, you get what you, you reap what you sow. And when you give things up and you are comfortable with it uh, or uncomfortable with it, you, um, you, you get surprising the result. And so I'm still in that phase right now. So, you know, I still love the operating room and I still love pushing my envelope and, doing challenging things. I, I've become, as I've gotten older, I've really appreciated the value of a straightforward case done well, you know, that just yeah. helping somebody. Um, but I really do enjoy the mentorship and being creative. I have an IT project, uh, really thinking out of the box about how to impact healthcare and, you know, trying to laugh a little bit at the same time that those things are, those are all important. They are. And you bring up something that really, I don't want to say that is missing in your field, but as somebody from the other side, as someone who would be a patient looking in from my perspective, you bring up the point of adding some compassion to your approach. And you would think someone getting into the healthcare industry, whether it's a doctor, an RN or anesthesiologist, whatever the the title is, that there would be just standard an approach with compassion, but that's not always the case. And you are, I, I hate to say you're a unicorn, but I think you are a unicorn. I just from watching you on the show and listening to your approach on how you're building your team with you, your partner, Dr. Bookvar and in your whole team, you guys seem to take a very collaborative and compassionate approach to each individual that you see. And as much as it's probably very encouraging to get a case where somebody's willing to, you know, put themselves on the line as a guinea pig for a new drug or a new technique, you still manage to treat them as humans. And 
I would think that would be a really hard differentiation to make as a, as a professional to look at an individual and want to dissect them and look at them on a molecular level, but also maintain that they are someone's mother, someone's father. Is that something that you came into this career with, or is that something you developed along your path, especially at Lenox Hill, because you, it seemed like you built that place up from the brick to the ceiling. I'm wondering if that, if your compassion is something that is what drove you or did, did it come to you in the process of, of your career? That's a big question. I know. I ask big questions. <laughs> I'm going to play I, a little I tell game. Dick jokes, but I ask big questions. <laughs> I'm going to dick joke. I'm going to play a little game with you. Okay. You have cancer. Shit, doc. Bad game. You're gonna you're gonna survive, and you're gonna and you're gonna because you're gonna have a choice. Your your choice is, I want to live with a hundred percent certainty, or I'm gonna live with fifty percent certainty. Which would you choose? I no no like a hundred percent. I want the 100% okay. So the surgeon, the surgeon that's gonna give you a hundred percent chance of survival is a dick. Wow. He doesn't give a shit about you. He doesn't even see you after surgery. You're in some clinical trial and you did well, but he doesn't, he just wants the data. He wants the stats. He wants to get promoted. And it's a guy and he's got a bow tie and he's an asshole. I can't stand him. You have an other person, maybe not a male, maybe somebody who's more empathetic, who maybe it is a male. Uh, let's say it's a male. And a he, doesn't, he, cares, he cares about you. He's empathetic. He listens. He gives the information, but he's not as good of a surgeon and his team isn't as good and he's not as demanding. And you only have a 50% chances of with that super nice guy. Who do you choose? Oh man, judging on my dating history, I would go with the asshole. <laughs> of course. Think about women choose assholes a lot. All the time. We love a good fixer upper yeah, doc. We exactly. love a good fixer upper. Right. <laughs> well, that's, I think that's a, a, a game, but also respect the fact that in healthcare, you're not getting paid to be empathetic. Um, it's a business. There's very little upside sometimes. A lot of people ask me in the two summing the show, like, how do you like a lot of my like colleagues say, you know, I could never be like that with my patients. I mean, like, why not? You know, I think in the end, I think that there's, I don't think you really can teach empathy and empathy is different than sympathy or compassion. Yep. Um, you can't really teach it. I've had, you know, some of my life, my life experiences, and I think just the way I was born, I'm the oldest of three boys. I've always been kind of the, you know, the adult in the room. But, you know, also I, I've had real struggles with my family, with my mar- my first marriage, with um, my kids. Um, and I, I, you know, those struggles are, have made me a, a different kind of person. My father passed away when he was young, like, like sounds like yours did. Um, so young. And, Your dad was 45? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, people, everybody has a story. I don't feel, I feel I'd gain uh, a lot from that. You know, you, you, well, I remember when it first happened, I felt so badly for myself, but, you know, I didn't deserve this. All that crap you, yeah. you use. And, uh, you know, there's somebody who's dad died when they were 44, or there's somebody who never had a dad, or there's someone who never knew their father, or their dad was an asshole, or, you know, whatever, or, or both parents died. You know, it's, 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 there's always someone has it worse than you do. And there's lots of people that have it better, but I always use the metaphor of never looking out of the boat. I, I say I was a rower in college. Um, I learned a lot from that experience. I, my college experience was I was rowing and training from, sp- from fall through the falling spring. 
Uh, we didn't do some of the things other people did. I was studying and rowing and I, it was just an incredible experience of, of this personal sacrifice for the better of a team. And the lot, not looking under the boat thing is a metaphor. It's like when you're racing in a crew boat, you're looking at where you've been, you don't see the finish line and you don't never look at your competition because it takes your eyes off the work. And it's how I live. And Ooh. I don't give a crap what anybody else is doing. And if other people aren't empathetic and if, they choose to be great surgeons without recognizing that the reason why we go and to become doctors is to help people and that that's it's just saving people and helping people are are it. You know, there's I oh, I give a talk on this stuff. Do you know who Margaret Mead was? The name rings a bell, but I, I'm not I can't pull anything. Who was she? So she was kind of the Oprah Winfrey of the 1960s and 70s. She was an anthropologist, sociologist uh, who you know, she was like very vocal in the press and was like the go-to woman for, you know, anthropology, sociology, uh, very well-known. She wrote a number of books. And um, I hate that a, I know uh, Kim Kardashian and not Margaret Mead. Yeah, well, there you I go. I really hate that I know You that. would know Margaret Mead if she was alive now because she'd be hot on Insta. But, <laughs> but she, there's, a, there's a story, it's apocryphal, of a student asking Margaret Mead uh, where, what, what, what she saw as the first sign of civilization. And since she was an anthropologist, it's like, of course, she's going to say something like, you know, wall caving, you know, carvings on a wall or, you know, some pictures of horses or, or hooks or stone, you know, carving stones or, or weapons. And she said, no, the first sign of civilization was when she found a, a human being with a healed femoral fracture or broken leg. Because if you survived with a, a broken leg, that means someone carried you protected you from wild beasts. And because in the animal world, if you break your leg, you die, you're attacked you're by predators. And so that the real sign of civilization is, is basically that someone's caring for, because caring for one another and to have compassion and then, and then saving a person's life or helping someone else is where civilization starts. And I, I really find that to be, you know, for me, especially through COVID was seared into me and, between the Netflix experience and just the evolution of medicine for me personally, the Lennox experience, the people I've you know come into contact with, along with reading and trying to understand myself, and and then going through what I saw in New York City in 2020, and then then reading things like Margaret Mead, um, I think that it's I've changed and I feel lucky. You know, I I, I get bummed out sometimes when I mean, there there are a lot of days that. Because the rest of the world doesn't necessarily recognize some of the things that I'm that I find important. It's very hard, but you have to um, keep your head in the boat and keep doing what you're doing, and um, eventually it should be okay. It's a interesting thing that I witnessed the juxtaposition from being in the hospital to going to those New York City streets, and you kind of spoke about it. And it sort of touches on my question on how do you balance it? Because you are a chairman, you are head of a department and a surgeon and also a husband and a dad. It may seem, you know, uh, easy to just shut it off. But I would imagine your line of work, especially being centered around the brain, it must be hard to shut it off when you go home. How do you how do you balance it? How do you shut it off? Is it just like today on your beach at your beach house having a tequila with me? Is this considered shutting it off? <laughs> yeah, I, I'd like to think so. I mean, I look forward to talking to people about our world. The the incredible thing about 
Lenox Hill, I think if you're a city person, which not everybody's a city person, I'm the a location, city yeah, so the location's got to be one of the, there can't be a city, a hospital better positioned geographically in the world. Most hospitals are very, there's kind of a lot of space around the hospital because they're large and there's a lot of, you know, room between the, the sort of civilian, you know, commercial life and the hospital world. And um, Lenox is literally one it's a, a city block and then there's a bar across the street, you know, that's our, <laughs> It's like our Lennox cafeteria and, you know, there's a bagel store and a bum on the corner and there's like, you know, this really good falafel place and taxis and the cacophony of Park Avenue in New York City. Um, I think that uh, there's no question I thrive in that. Um, I wasn't. Well, yeah, I wasn't. Yes. I mean, I wasn't really a New Yorker born and raised. I I came late, but um, I, I, well, I love working in New York. And it was even better during COVID. And Lennox, being in Lennox, and it's very hard to, you know, when you're at other hospitals that don't have that milieu, both in and out, and the diversity and just the stress um, and just the, the, the craziness of it all, you, you, I'm not saying it's good all the time, but you kind of miss it. It's like, you know, driving your car to work and putting, pulling to a parking lot and walking into a, a, a place that's kind of quiet. Everybody looks the same. And, uh, you know, you, there are a lot of people who thrive in that, but they don't because they couldn't imagine uh, going through what we go through every day. But I, I can't imagine not doing it. And um, I struggle because I know that's probably give us something of yourself by doing that. Life could be a lot easier. I don't think there's such a thing as balance. I mean, you know, my feeling is you make decisions in life about your your partner and your career. That's really the biggest two decisions of your life. And right. um, having having children, but that's more of a a different decision. But, you know, if you, if your partner knows you well enough and you really have a good relationship, they respect the fact of what makes you happy. And by the same token, if you don't choose a good career, if you choose something for money or for power or for the wrong reasons, um, you aren't happy because you're chasing something that is not really what you want. And I'm lucky that I decided to become a doctor. Becoming a neurosurgeon is, is actually deciding what kind of doctor to be is actually more important than going to medical school, to be quite honest, because there's what I do and like what a pediatrician does are are a difference between me and a Wall Street guy, basically. But in the end, I think that I just look at it as balance. It starts with these decisions and that it's like I said, I made a mistake in my first marriage. I I, I, and that was, you know, so I didn't have any balance. I was I was unhappy. And even though I was still happy at work, I, you know, I didn't want to go home and I was, you know, struggling with that. So now that I have the balance of having these two pieces of my life, for the most part, uh, where I want them, uh, I have that balance. Now, it doesn't mean I have, you know, complete balance, everything, all the time. There's a, a neurosurgeon who put it, put this, like a, divided up your life into a square, into four, four compartments, your career, your marriage, your family, your religion, and your health. Mm. And then if you think about it, it kind of, it throws, it goes off sometimes where you spend more. It's sometimes a quadrilateral, you know, sometimes it's a, a quadrilateral, you know, it's all always four sides, but it morphs and shapes. The key is keeping that thing kind of square. And um, I think it really though, I mean, I try to keep healthy. I, I, I don't, I'm not particularly religious, but I, I like the kind of Buddhist concept of, of, of the way of life. And um, I think that basically it be, it begins with finding ways to be creative and push your envelope, be willing to fail in your career and, and learn and then and having a relationship at home that 
you have unconditional love. And if you, if you can find that, that's, uh, that's balance. I think that's a perfect way to put it. There are ebbs and flows everywhere in life and nothing's perfect. And you, as long as you can remain flexible and communicate what your goals are with a supportive partner, it sounds amazing. And I can't wait to relay that to Brad Pitt because he's going to be in my marriage chamber. <laughs> is he next? Now, is he following me? I should, I, yeah, I, yeah, no, he's, yeah, yeah he's, yeah, he, of course he is. Yeah, sure. He's after yeah. you. That's right. Um, I, I feel like, honestly, I could spend four hours with you because I want to know everything there is about the brain. Now, to to pivot a little bit, when it comes to Alzheimer's, um, is there's, it's such a hard disease to diagnose first. I feel like its early symptoms get jumbled into other things and, and it, it becomes, you know, by the time the disease has set its claws in, it's already done the damage it's going to do and it's underway to an inevitable end. But for someone who studies the brain, what are some things that maybe the public general public could know or should know with this disease? Like, are there, are there other signs? Is, is there ways to know for sure it's Alzheimer's early on or do we need to be in your office and see your scans on a daily basis? <laughs> Well, you should never confuse a neurosurgeon with studying the brain. <laughs> yes, I know you. I know you chop into the brain, but I'm talking from like a physical yeah. aspect. Like, well, the truth of the matter is, um, Alzheimer's is a, is a neurological disease, not a neurosurgical one. But I still have, you know, I have an understanding of it. There's no therapy for Alzheimer's. All these new drugs are coming out. There'll probably be something in our lifetime. Respect the fact that um, as we age, our organs deteriorate, and so some aspect of Alzheimer's is just normal aging. So when people lose their memory or aren't quite as sharp when they're 80, then there's some people who carry their full-on intelligence and personality up until you know they die in their hundreds. They're, those are unique people. But the majority of us, the mortal, the mortal people in the world, lose a, a step or two. We, you know, our knees get you know, crickety and our back hurts. And My knees sound like to... there's metal in the fucking microwave. Yeah, so there you go. And not to mention you know, what men have to take they have to take their pills to keep things going. I mean, these are all, these are all, it's part of getting older and the brain is the same way. So there's an element of this kind of progressive dementia that's normal. Um, it's when it becomes accelerated or severe early that we, that we think, start thinking about Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's is a diagnosis. That's a, it's a, it's a neurodegenerative disease that, that causes disruptions in cognition, memory in particular. And, um, you know, we know what the, what the cells look like pathologically, but you can't diagnose it without people essentially being dead because you can't take a piece of the brain and you don't want to do biopsy for Alzheimer's disease. It's, it's really a clinical diagnosis. It's got a certain signature clinically where a neuropsychologist can study you and put you through a battery of uh, a personality test, basically. And, and there are certain kind of signs of Alzheimer's. I think we're not going to, as far as diagnosing it, it's still a clinical diagnosis, meaning, you know, you're doing X, Y, and Z and you have it. And then what do we do? And then the, and the scans show a fair amount of brain atrophy. Um, but the, it's a scary proposition for people, especially who have it in their family, because, and there are the Parkinson's, Huntington's, there are all, all these neurodegenerative diseases are just terrible. Um, and I think that in the end, uh, part of it, we probably will be get it better at diagnosing susceptibility, meaning determining what your genetic susceptibility is to it, and then begin to make, make find things that will have impact your susceptibility, meaning whether it's diet or drugs or 
you know, something uh, either environmental that we can modify uh, to sort of mitigate your genes. And, you know, we do this with heart disease. You know, if you have high cholesterol, you have a cholesterol medication. If you have, uh, you know, you shouldn't smoke. You, you know, we have things we do all the time to impact our health. And hopefully these types of, of things will help us to uh, mitigate the effects of, of these neurodegenerative diseases. I do think that just healthy living, you know, limiting your you know, exercise, you know, good, good balanced diet, um, tequila, a daily intake. tequila. Is, I will uh, say, I, I've, I, like very I said, helpful. <laughs> it, a little bit goes along. <laughs> totally. Don't, don't not have fun. I mean, you know, I had this conversation. I had a, um, a psychiatrist on Dr. Daniel Amen, and he essentially has scanned my brain and deduced a lot of information that has made me pivot my life. One of which being alcohol intake, which uh, I have to be honest, I drank more as a teenager than I do as an adult because I live in L.A. now and marijuana is life. Um, that being said. I know you are a neurosurgeon and there are differences between that and, and somebody who actually is studying like the, 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 the brain on a level of, you know, it being a neurodegenerative disease. But when it comes to alcohol and marijuana, can you tell me if someone had to choose one to have for the rest of their life, is there one that would be less damaging? Marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> we got the clip, Deb. <laughs> well, it's not even a question. I mean, alcohol is, alcohol is terrible. It's, it's, uh, first of all, it's addictive. Marijuana is not. People do stupid shit on, on alcohol. I mean, you, these women, men get very, can get aggressive and there's abuse. There's people drive, you know, these are all terrible. And then Marijuana, women sleep with those abusive men. Exactly. On alcohol. Think about, I mean, I mean the whole fraternity world and I mean, a mess so a mess. both from a social biological and medical situation alcohol is far worse it will always be first of all it's, it's there's huge companies that sell the stuff and it's it's basically just and it's 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 accepted by our society you know it's like uh it's never going to go away you know marijuana was originally a black drug and and it was it was really discriminated against uh partially because of that and um you know i think marijuana has been shown to be very safe now, anything, it, it can be bad, in, uh, you know, if you use too much of it. And I think the edible problem is that people just eat it too much and then they lose oh, control of themselves. It can be really bad. Yeah. Have really you ever bad. had anybody come in? They're like, my brain is dying. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, I've known some like, people very close to me that tap it to. But it's the, terrible. The, in the end, yeah, it's really bad. So, so that, that the, but I think that making it legal and having a commercial, you know, commercial business around it, is only likely to make it more safe and more controlled and less risky because it'll be kind of more kind of normal. And right. um, there's no question. That, right. No question that, that marijuana is safer than alcohol. I, 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 now, there are, are some people who would argue that there are studies that it could affect memory and can be negative for the brain, but this stuff's all pretty atmospheric right now. And frankly, I don't think there's been enough study on it. Undoubtedly, there will be, but there's no question that alcohol is terrible for you. I mean, your liver, your brain, you know, everything, diabetes, it, it's just like, you know, so I agree with you. Like I started, I drank a lot more during COVID, you know, I would come home at night and I'd throw, and I would start up having like, you know, 20 drinks a week. And I wasn't, what, what was your go-to? Was it tequila? Yeah, pretty much. I, I like, I like my wife and I went to Russia 
in 2019 and I, I became a big vodka drinker. <laughs> so, Ooh. but yeah, vodka is good. When, you know, to, vodka, I like a you good can martini. do anything with vodka. You can put it with a little tomato juice. You can do a yeah. little grapefruit. Yeah. You could just yeah. spritz it on your face with your mouth open. I mean, you could yeah. <laughs> literally, you absolutely. There's so many variations to ingesting yeah. and drinking vodka. <laughs> but you got to be careful. I mean, I, I, I've cut back quite a bit. Um, I, I tried well. to. Yeah. It's hard, you know, like you said, like especially in quarantine, you're left to your own vices and yeah. in your own thoughts, which can drive you to your vices. Um, How did you get into your business? I just wouldn't shut up. And so I just went to a place where I could do that and, and it right. becomes something lucrative. Yeah. I think I just always, you know, growing up, there's a lot of chaos in my house. My parents had a tumultuous marriage and a more amicable separation but the result of that was me entertaining my sister i think to sort of deviate from wow. the chaos in the household she was my first audience member and Aww. yeah and i always think about that you know it was just her and i and i think the pure joy and connectivity that i experienced in those moments of making her laugh was my drug I, I couldn't get enough of it. I, I making people making people laugh is a skill. I mean, I, and even when we're talking, you get such a a kick out of making someone laugh. Yeah, it feels um, good. Yeah, and I think it's that's. But I think comedians. I was just talking to somebody yesterday about it. How you ever hear of a guy named Foster Brooks speaking about alcohol? Yeah. Do you know who Foster Brooks was? Oh my god! You, you keep bringing it. up people who I'm like, I know who that is. I know I know Foster that. Brooks plays a drunk with Dean Martin. And you got to look oh this guy up. God. He has, there's one skit where he plays a brain surgeon at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it's one of the greatest ones. You know, he's like, ah, ah, what are you doing? He goes, right. D Martin's just plays a straight guy smoking, you know, this is on TV. <laughs> so what do you do? He goes, Hi, I'm a brain surgeon. Oh, you know, and he goes, I'm heading back to the hospital now. And he kind of walks out of the, you know, <laughs> and you couldn't make that joke today. No, you couldn't because you get canceled. Yeah, but you got to see you. you, you it's a, the evolution, and also I'm so interested in sort of. Did you see the like the CNN things on um, on stand up, the history of stand up, or even on the uh, the late night the history of late night? And you see how comedy sort of evolved and culturally, and it's it's really reflects back on you know what people are thinking. And I, I lived in England for a year, and and British humor is totally different than America. Like, Jerry Seinfeld, it's harder for him to be funny in England. And it's just so much. And that's why there are black comedians and Asian comedians and Jewish comedians and women and men. And and, and it's it's just so interesting to see. But ultimately, it's you just really get a charge out of making people laugh. And you do. do. It's awesome. It's It's also like. Your Instagram posts made me laugh. <laughs> That's right. I told you, I was like, you better, you better say that in our conversation. <laughs> I made a oh, neurosurgeon awesome. laugh. <laughs> they're great. <laughs> it's, it, you know, I struggle with sometimes wanting to have more purpose. And, and I've worked on realizing that my purpose is to, as simple and simplistic as it sounds, to bring joy to people. And you know, when it comes to those last moments, which I'm sure you've been around too many than you that, that you like to admit, being in someone's last moments, you'd hope there was some joy in their heart. You'd yeah. hope they would recollect or recall something that brought them joy. And if I can be just a small part of that, to me now I realize the value of it and I don't need to excuse it anymore. You know, 
I think also where you and I are similar is, and I mentioned it before, our drive to do what we do was brought on by both of our fathers. Essentially, I got into stand up because of my dad and I got into my desire to learn more about the brain because of his passing. And you got into, I believe you got into neurosurgery to, you were looking basically an eternal search to cure your father. That's true. And how, how much, how many days or when you wake up in the morning, is that on the top of your head or is it something that you just sort of have as a parameter or a compass to still keep you going? You know, is it, is it still in the forefront of your drive that you are looking to cure your dad? I think that's a, a beautiful motivator to do something for other people. Yeah, I wasn't particularly close with my dad. I respected him. He worked so hard. And I, I sort of feel like sometimes maybe I'm just reinventing my father with my own kids, oddly enough. Um, but um, he was brilliant and he was a great doctor. And uh, when he got he got sick, he had a heart attack when he was 42. And he just had a stroke when he was 45. And from he didn't die until he was 52, actually. But he was mm-hmm. his life was ruined. But I got to know him in many ways much better after he had a stroke because he was so vulnerable. And he became wow. like my yeah, he became like my brother. You know, he needed me. I need to pick him up and clean him and get him, you know, help him get to work. And he would pee in himself. I had to go find a pair of pants for him and this kind of thing. How old were so, you at this point? I was twenty three when he had strokes. He he died when I was thirty. So between so, those years you were Yeah, I was a resident. Close. I was a resident, uh neurosurgery resident then. I was in medical. I was in medical school and then a resident. He died when I was a third year resident. But you know, in the end, I um, I always wanted to be be kind of like him. I wanted to be a cardiologist. Then I, then I thought I wanted to be a cardiac surgeon. But I was drawn to neurosurgery. Without you know, I agree with you. It's no question. I had this kind of interest in neurological impairment because of him. And then I ended up doing vascular neurosurgery, which is all blood vessels and stroke. Oddly enough, stroke is. It destroyed my mom's life in particular and our family life because of my father's, you know, suffering. And then fast forward, you know, 20 years later, the, 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 the tr- stroke treatment has really radically altered vascular neurosurgery. Um, so that the, all the open surgery that I love to do, that I train to do, has sort of disappeared because of all the catheter-based treatment. And that's been, for me, a big sh- – it's been terrible. You know, I, it I, I went- has to be very difficult to adjust – yeah, I had, Those are two I different and, departments. Yeah, I went and did a fellowship ten years after my residency. The whole field was changing. I went. I used to fly to Buffalo, you know, every Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, and work in Buffalo for three days a week as a basically as a fellow, and to learn the catheter stuff. And it was very. It was a real struggle. And um, you know, I it's it, what it's done is it's kind of dumb. It's like it's like say somebody came up today with some way to make jokes that was like super easy to do and you didn't have to sit down and it was no effort. It wasn't so much effort anymore. Anybody could be a comedian. Right. And anybody could have a great it's show. It's called TikTok. And, well, there you go. Our catheter thing. implementation right. is TikTok. Yes. Yeah, so right. So you have to learn how to use TikTok. <laughs> TikTok is the catheter of the comedy. Yeah, there you go. It's it's true, actually. You know, it is. And, and I think musicians, what's, look what's happening. Look what's happening to musicians. I know, you know, and I think TikTok is a joke. I mean, Literally. and yet, but it, it's a different skill set. And somehow some people just lop into this and become, you know, it, it's crazy. So you know what that feeling is. And so 
I do think that my dad's, my experience with my father led to certainly why I went to medical school and certainly got me interested in neuroscience and neurosurgery and certainly got me in vascular. But I would be lying. I don't wake up every morning trying to save my father. I mean, John Bookmar, my partner, who's really one of my closest friends, his dad died also young of, of, of overdose of chemotherapy from leukemia. And he, that's what really took him off in this kind of whole clinical trial for developing safer, safer chemotherapies. Many of us wow. in healthcare, uh, my, you know, a buddy of mine from med school's father was a doctor who, you know, died young. And, you know, many, many doctors have these experiences with their parents and are influential, just like you had with your dad being a comedian. It's, it's, it's what we're see every day. And it's what you can, and plus there's gotta be a genetic susceptibility to it oh, too. Yeah. You know, for so sure. And so I, I, my team, you know, my John and Raphael, uh, whose father is a physician as well. He's a, from Puerto Rico. He's a phenomenal interventional radiologist. Uh, Griffin Baum, our young new spine guy. Um, Jason Ellis, who grew up in Jamaica and then and then moved to Miami as an only child. I went to his wedding down in Jamaica with his family. You know, every one of them has their own little story. Mitch Levine, who, you know, was the oldest of us, who's, uh, you know, was a taxi driver uh, before he went to medical school. Mitch you know, drove we, taxis? Oh. Yeah. I love him in his yeah. slides and no socks. So there's a guy after my own heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have a great group. These guys are what keep me going, you know, um, so that uh, if they, you can, I tell, I tell everybody there's, there's no jealousy and there's no schadenfreude in our department that we all struggle. We all fail. You know, we all have our families and we have our relationships either that are ongoing or the things that happen in our lives, with our parents or our fathers or whatever. And we're pretty much out there and out in the open. And we know, we recognize that those things are important to each of us. I think it's important to have a drive that comes so deep from within, you know, not everybody has that. A lot of people, like you say in the beginning, like you said, in the beginning, they go for a certain career because they want to be rich. And if, if you're rich without purpose, that's, I feel like that's the quickest death sentence. If you, if you don't have, if you have all this money, but there's no purpose in your life or no real drive or reason to contribute the money is, there's no value there. There's no value. We're going to spend it on a car to what drive to some stupid party with people who you don't know. So I like, that was like, for me, one of the redeeming qualities of you and your team, you honestly all feel like you come from a place of a pure drive and wanting to accomplish something because of what you've experienced. And I relate to that as we both know. Um, what <laughs> one of the things I did was I asked my fans on the platform on Instagram to ask you some questions. Are you down to answering some questions? Cause we got a whole bunch of, I, I can answer questions. I'll try. Okay. Well <laughs> I can help. If you need help, just raise your hand. <laughs> oh, wow. This one's coming. Uh, okay. K nep. I had a pillow. Sitic. Astro- yep. G one at age 37. Sure. Do you think I had this my whole life? Uh, these are these are pediatric tumors. They're very low grade, and um, you may have developed these. Probably did not develop when you're you know in utero, but probably it's likely you've had it for years and it just got picked up. So the answer is, life is a big number, but it probably was there for more than ten or fifteen years. At thirty-seven, you might have had it for thirty years. It developed at some point along the way. And the good news is if you get the whole thing out, it's cured. And um, it's one of the one of the true, one of the astrocytomas that surgery actually is curative rather than palliative. 
that's a, you know, the palliative part I feel is so exhaustive for both the doctor and the patient. It it, it just feels yeah. like they're, you're ki- constantly piling on other things to get to some end point that is inevitable. But, you know, maybe that's just me speaking from my own experience and projecting because my parents are dead. But hey, <laughs> God bless tequila. <laughs> um carolina carr asks this is a good question i think if you could make one invention what would it be oh wow i know carolina uh i mean the kind of the mechanic something real or invent i mean something real or kind of totally out there let's go totally out there it's fucking friday Totally out there is like a happy pill. <laughs> I mean, basically, most of us, you know, we we stress about what's happened in the past. We worry about the future, and most people have it pretty good. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone listen to this, but you know, I think if we could take a pill that just basically allows us to be present and um, give, allows us to be able to eliminate some of that voice in our heads that talks to us and tells us what we're doing wrong, what we should have done, what we could have done. Uh, and to modify that, I think that would be an earth shattering for the world. Um, and it would really probably solve, it probably contribute to world peace. <laughs> I, have, so, uh, I have a solution. What's that? We're going to marijuana. No, we're going to collaborate on this invention and it's actually what? nature invented. It's four syllables, one word, multiple experiences through multiple dimensions psilocybin <laughs> yeah I, I, no i i i must say that um you know that there are there is a role for this i think you know potentially really? not that i'm oh yeah i mean i i think that um these these sorts of medications or drugs have always had a pretty um negative because they were abused and there's potentially risk but um the answer is i know that feeling you know i and i and i i hear you and uh so, but it would have to be something that was safe, that um, that medical, all the medical experts agreed wasn't, um, um, you know, dangerous and that you could give to children without a problem that and this is why it's just never going to happen. But um, I would love know, to give the, my niece and nephew some shrooms and just <laughs> set them out in the nature into the woods and see what yeah. they come up with. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So, I mean, that's, I think if I had to come up with invention, that would be. As far as a medical invention, I think a um, you know a, a a tool that we could cure um, you know the, the uncurable diseases you know whether it's I think the one that really gets me is Huntington's disease um, and the neurodegenerative diseases because it's just so disruptive. But you know any can you know any cancer there is uh, Huntington's I, I I've come across that remind me it's Korea it's like people have these bizarre movements they can't control. They're flailing and, you know, they, they can't control their movements. It's just terrible. Um, but I actually worked with a woman named Kate Carrico. You can look that up. Kate was a most brilliant scientist I've ever worked with. I was an undergraduate medical student and resident. And uh, she had this idea that using mRNA uh, as a drug would work, that you could, if you could isolate RNA and deliver it, you could just create any protein that was missing in the body. And at the time, everybody was in the gene therapy and viral therapies. And we were at Penn in the 1980s and 90s when this there was the Gene Therapy Institute. And it was very financially driven, perverse incentive, all the bullshit. 
and they ended up killing a kid during a clinical trial that shut the whole thing down. But Kate was convinced that RNA as a molecule was safe and that it could be, it could be modeled to, for anything and it didn't incorporate into your nucleus or to the genome. So you just give it and it would, it's like a magic bullet. And I worked with her for you know 10 years at Penn and unfortunately left in 1998. My chairman, so I was supposed to stay there, but he decided to leave and come to New York. That's how I ended up in New York. Well, Kate is going to be one of the Nobel Prizes here. Her discovery of, of how RNA works led to the BioNTech and a Moderna vaccine. I was just going to um, say, isn't that the basis for Moderna and yeah. Pfizer? I mean, and this her, shit's and running her, through my system right now. Better, me too. Better fucking fix their shit, and Me too. And the, <laughs> so the other pill I would invent is a pill that, that basically blows up QAnon and all these anti-vaxxers <laughs> and turn people into actual human again. I mean- I like what the, what is in wrong the hell people? is wrong with people? So you know, Kate is, I think, to me, my I idolize her in a way that's you know her her purity and her her kind of imaginative imaginative ability to overcome obstacles and being told it won't work and and now she saved the world. It's it's an incredible story. And her 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 daughter actually, who also who I helped to get into Penn in in a weird way, and she ended up rowing like I did won two gold medals in the Olympics in Beijing and London. rowing. Wow. For the and in fact, if you look up Kate Carrico on 30 ESPN, there's a whole piece on she and her daughter. And there's this incredible, I don't think this ever happened before, where a, you know, a family had a Nobel Prize and a gold medal. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it's like bringing, you know, you're uplifting a whole population and also saving one. Yeah. You so girls should I, go on a tour. Seriously. Yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> But I mean, so there I've sort of seen what someone can do as far as inventing something that's really breathtakingly cool. And I've, you know, lucky enough to have, you know, had a small brush with that. And so the idea of being able to come up with something, you know, that's that impactful, uh, that could really, you know, change the course of history as far as cancer or depression or, you know, these terrible neurological diseases would be the invention that I think uh, would be the most, you know, really unique to do. And, and Kate's done that really. I mean, That's she's, amazing. she's going to, yeah, she's going to be like Louis Pasteur, maybe Louis Pasteur or, you know, you know, Leonardo da Vinci kind of name historically in, in her contribution to science because of her persistence her perseverance and her intelligence. So um, it's possible. It is possible. And, you know, the word invention is a very malleable term when it comes to science and medicine specifically, like yeah. you said, is it a physical, device or is it something that is medicinal so it, it's there's it is really um interesting and encouraging to see women doing that especially yeah. you know up to a handful of years we weren't allowed to do much besides makeup so i'm excited <laughs> well actually you want to hear a great story after netflix came out you know we used john bookfar and i and our group used to have like a summer internship where high school, college, medical school kids would come and spend the summer at Lenox. The brain up turns? Until, the brain turns. You know about the brain turns? I do. I've, I've, I've dug deep on your, on your bio. So we had 16,000 kids who signed up last year, and 80% were women. <gasps> God, we're so smart. Oh, my God, yeah. we're so smart. So this that year must have we been did brutal it when they all started to get their period, huh? Oh, it, was, it was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> they were all cycling together. <laughs> Moon sisters. It would it would be the uh, every thirty days the, the numbers of, of brain turns would drop. Yeah, you guys have a week off according to the cycle of the women. 
exactly. <laughs> wow. But uh, we actually, this year we had, this year, because it wasn't COVID, we had 12,000 registered, but we had about 2,000 kids on every Zoom, between 800 and 2,000. And we are having a Spanish brain turn, so it begins next week. But we really modified the curriculum. So we have a lot more women in medicine and, you know, things about, you know, what it's like to go through this as a woman, because, you know, the, in the end, um, healthcare remains, especially the medical side, not the administrative side, but the, especially the power money-making fields are very male dominated. So we have, if we don't make it more accessible to women, we're not going to get the best, you know, students to want to become neurosurgeons. Number one, number two, a lot of the training has changed. You know, when I was a resident, there were no work hour restrictions. I used to go in at five in the morning, come home at 11 at night, go back in at five in the morning, be on call that night. You, you would literally eat a banana in a shower for dinner when you were home. I mean, it was just Shit. insane. And now it's 80 hour work week. So you can do things like you can have a child during your residency, during your year off. And it's more, it's, it's more kind of human yet. Some of there's been a little bit of a lag in women considering these kind of more aggressive fields, but we, 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 Oh, we have to do this um, because there's only, you know, OBGYN or, you know, dermatology, those are great fields and they're very dominated by women, but it's because they are more accessible, not because they're more interesting. And That's- so we, we have, yeah. And so we just have to, we recognize that and I'm, I'm, we're making a big push to uh, make neurosurgery something that women would really consider doing. And it's important that we do that. It is important because from yeah. a, physiological standpoint as we both know the female brain and the male brain are pretty different yeah just just from you know how we think let alone on a deeper level having women be represented in represented in that field is something i just assumed was taken care of and that's terrible 14 about 14 percent of neurosurgeons are women i think it's it's less than 10 percent of cardiac surgeons are women and do, so, you, do you attribute that to just the limited access that women have or traditionally just the way it's been a male dominated industry or a combination of the both? I think it's similar to why, you know, you know if you look at Fortune 500 CEOs, it's only, you know, two women or something or why there are so many fewer women senators or Congress people. There, there, there's inherent biases of the way people get in. But Part of it's choice. I mean, you know, I, I don't blame men either, by the way. It's not yeah. just the male thing. It's like women right. choose not to because they aren't comfortable there or they don't think they can do it or they aspire to it. And maybe they find they don't not, aren't, you know, all the other thing about our field is it, it attracts a lot of sociopaths, you know, a lot of narcissists. and Really? Uh, because it's neurosurgery. Yeah, no, it's just it's kind of the whole I'm a brain surgeon kind of thing. And you know, we have a tremendous amount of ego and uh, aggressive behavior in, in neurosurgery and cardiac heart surgery is similar. And um, I think on, on general, there are fewer women like that, especially become doctors. You know, there's a bell-shaped curve, all this stuff, but there are more men like that in healthcare. There are w- narcissistic women. They just don't, most of them don't become doctors, at least that I've seen. No, they're my um, sisters. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, kidding. Love you guys. Yeah. So, but the point is, I think that we have to, but there have been changes. I mean, the, the work hours were a huge problem, you know, initially that it just wasn't even possible to like, you know, survive. And it was very militaristic, uh, egomaniacal, misogynistic, you know, the jokes in the operating room and what people say at off hours. There wasn't as nearly, no one was woke at all. But like me making did, period jokes? I'd be terrible well, in a, in a yeah, room. Yeah, well, you can do it. But you know what? You do fine because you're comfortable with men. You know, they're, they're, 
other problem is some women, and, and men have to be comfortable with women being themselves in front of women. You know, you need to be able to make the same joke in front of a woman that you make in front of a man. It's just, right. and men, some men don't do that, you know, and, and women by the same token have to be comfortable with not being like, feel like they're put off by something that's a little off color because now today it could really get you in trouble. I mean, yes. I, I must say we are, the, 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 the risk benefit of this stuff is just way out. I mean, you have to be so careful in the operating room. What you used to be able to get away with or people would just kind of laugh about, you can be fired for now. Which I and, think is uh, so crazy considering. It is. It is. Just it the is. nature of what you do and how delicate of an organ you're dealing with. Like you said, this isn't like any other part of the body where you can sort of get in and cut it open and slice it up and snatch it back together. The brain's a very specific organ in the way you have to slice and dice and what happens to it. After you slice and dice it, you're going to fuck somebody up. You can break a yeah. leg and a bitch will walk again, but you bust a brain and they might not know their name or be able to communicate at all. So the nature of what you do is so delicate that, fuck, I, I, in my operating room, I'd be like, you can swear. You just all look, this is a safe space. No censorship. Do whatever you need to do to keep Sally alive. Maybe put some yeah, earmuffs I, on her. So there's a, a flip of... side of that, though. There's a flip <laughs> what, side of that, Tell though. me. It's my, my boss was a lunatic when I was training. <laughs> he would throw shit. He would kick shit, scream. He'd make fun of Hillary Clinton. I mean, the guy was out of his <laughs> – he was out of his tree. I mean, you, 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 we were all – the nurses would get all anxious. We were like, you know, uh, you know, so waiting So my approach for, is terrible. <laughs> yeah, well, the truth is that, that doesn't make it better. I mean, you know, getting upset and angry – is not going to improve the situation. And I think I had to learn it's, t- I've taken it. T- I'm still working on myself, honestly, because you, if you carry in it, you only make everybody around your team, you know, more anxious and more, they're not going to be as effective if you lose your shit. Yeah, so, right. you know, in fact, we are just filming our the second show, which is going to be very different than the first one. It's we're not going to be as front and center, John and I, and it's more about emergencies and, they were in filming what's called a vascular malformation a couple of weeks ago. And the thing ruptured during the filming. Like it started, and I'm like, you know, so I, I go into like a different mode when that happens. You know, you're, 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 you literally have to just completely calm down and, and because like one of those, a, a very well-known neurosurgeon named Robert Spetzler, who's, who's, you know, when you, he talks about this, that, you know, you just, you can't get upset. It, 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 you're, it's up to you. I mean, if you lose your, like, if you're lose your mind, like what, what what's, what's going to happen? You're setting the tone. Yeah. And, 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 and everyone keys off you. And when, when you, they sense your anxiety, they know there's a problem. And so I, it takes work and you have to like, just almost like go to a different gear. And the whole thing was recorded, like what happened. And, you know, after it was all, everything worked out fine. You know, there was a bit of a kind of a, I'll calm in the room after everything was under control. And it was like, like, like you, got that, you got, you got that on film, you know, just like, um, that's, I think what it's about. It's like Sully when that airplane was, you know, perfect example, you know, if he freaks out, you know, you'd have two planes people, done. right? The plane, yeah, so, the, the plane's at the bottom of the, of the river, not floating. Yes. It's, correct. It, and, and, you know, and on top of that, a big part. And on top of that, I think that there, that's why this like, kind of like losing your shit is because really usually some people lose their shit because they're actually not capable 
mm. and they're revealed their weakness and they're 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 not honest with themselves so i'm not and capable so, to be a neurosurgeon is what you're telling me no i'm not <laughs> saying that <laughs> i agree wholeheartedly <laughs> i come but in when you, when, when you everybody. get everybody when you get upset when you get upset about something that you're doing think about it it's 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 usually because you're not in control mm-hmm. or you're afraid what people are going to say about you or think about you you're insecure. or you insecure and so that's most of that stuff is coming from there yeah like i know in my heart i really believe i'm not saying it's not an ego thing i feel like i can do anything in, that i need to do in the operating room i do and so when we're when i struggle you are in some really tough situations I just tell myself in my brain, I'm like, I ha- I can do this. Like, I am, I-, I have to be able to do this. I mean, there's, and that doesn't, that doesn't mean lose. You know, you have to go to that, you know, psilocybin place. Yes. And, and, the psilocybin place. Oh, yeah. Where I you're just like another a place for you that could be a, a like a new. I don't know, maybe a center. You could have a center yeah. called the psilocybin place. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> It's the same spot. It's just you can't use pharma- <laughs> pharmacological intervention at that time. Yes. But you have to literally know that, that not the feeling, but the emotion. Like, right, that okay, calm. everything's okay. Like, yeah, it's, I'm going to be like okay. It's in all your skills at one moment in the storm. Yes. Storm's coming. And you've got and we, a cellar full of shit. Do you know how to use any of it? Yeah. Look, and we're lucky enough, like not all of medicine has those moments. Like not all surgeons, if you're a p- podiatrist and doing bunions, you're not going to have, you're not going to have that chance. Shots fired to the podiatrist. Watch out, <laughs> hey, docs. It's not for everybody. You know I mean? That's why you, you got to know yourself first. I mean, I think they're probably, it can be very interesting. It's just, you know, you have to know your personality of what you get, what you, you know, get your, float your boat. You know what? And if I have you're gonna, a theory about podiatrists. What's that? They like fucking feet. They do. Sure. <laughs> you are a fucking riot, man. Wait, wait. I don't want to get too far from brain turns because there's a question about brain turns from Carolina who's been, who asked what your invention would be. And now she wants to know about brain turns. She said, Thank same you. person, two questions. What do you have? Like, three fo- what do you have? Like three followers? Oh, no, there's a whole bunch more here. <laughs> but I, I, because we were talking about it, I didn't want to get too far away. She okay. said, thank you for brain terms. Uh, brain turns. Will there be more of it in the future after the coronavirus? Yeah, we did it this year. This is sort of pseudo corona. It's more like Corona Light this yes. year. Yes. Yes. Uh, next year, hopefully, be Budweiser. But um, <laughs> yeah, a total deviation yeah. from all things Corona. <laughs> you know, I think we'll continue to do it as long as there are people willing to listen to us. We'll do it. Maybe we, we dropped the number of average this year. We dropped to about eight hundred or a thousand participants at a lecture last year was between 1500 and 2000. So we'll definitely do it again next year. But if we start to show up and no one's there, we'll probably stop. <laughs> that's a smart, it's a smart move. I think it's a smart move. Uh, same for my shows, same for my tour. Yeah. I'm just going to leave. <laughs> Are you going to come to New York? I am coming to New York. You have to bring the family. Yeah, we're having dinner. We're Hell having dinner. yes. I'm Fucking for a. it. I'm going to be in New York, October 9th at the city winery. Oh, I'll come. Yeah, you have to come. I'll get I you tickets for place. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a wonderful spot. It's a great spot. spot. Um, You're going back on tour? I am going back on tour in a month. I have actually just was talking to my assistant and my tour manager about putting all the dates up on the site and 
everything's great. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm so excited. Me get too. To face to face. Yeah, cool. that would be amazing. Um, That's awesome. Bring your sister. <laughs> Emily will literally die. She's texted me like four times since we started. <laughs> That's nice. She texted me before. Are you guys on yet? Like, what's happening? Are you recording? <laughs> back up, okay? A save a seat uh, for the SU game. Um, do you have time for a couple more questions? Yeah, sure. So one seems very specific, and I don't know what it is, and I feel like you'll know exactly what it is. Salamanderny says, will there ever be a cure for glib... glib- Glioblastoma? Yep. Hey, well, I, I, I don't there's need, ever like I, I, a ten thousand dollar pyramid we're gonna show. Play, yeah, we're going to play. We're going to play a game. You're going to say, "Is there a?" And the, if I see how many letters, I can guess exactly what the question I, is. I went. Glue. <laughs> I said. I said. I have a juvenile pilocytic acidoma. Correct. Yeah, I would be like, I have a. I should just, you know, what's going to be funny is you and I have dinner and I'm kind of buzzed and I'm like, and you're like, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm slurring because I'm drunk and you're blasting off things you, you remember from fucking medical school. I, I, I have to go. You're a happy dinner. And I'm going to say, I have a diarrhea. Oh, I'm sorry. Always. Always when I travel. hundred percent. Exactly. A um, cure for glucopeppos. I think so. I, I, I think so. What I is mean, it? it's. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You're asking me? (laughs) Fuck if I know it's (laughs) you. No, no. Let's just edit time. No, 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 glioblastoma is the worst. It's the worst brain tumor. Incurable. That's what Ted Kennedy died of. John McCain died of. Um, and why is it the worst? What? What? It's uh, it you know, if you took, if you didn't make a Jello mold. Oh yeah, I'm doing that say, in an hour. Say, <laughs> say you make Jello, and you have the clear Jello, but in the center, before it hardens, you put green Jello in, and right. it kind of the the core is really green, but as it spreads into the into the rest, so it's a little green, and then the green kind of goes away. When you operate on a glioblastoma. You take the really dark green part out, but you can't get everything else. It just in, it always sells left. And so actually Johnny Bookvar, my partner, that's his focus. And he he's come up with a really creative ways of disrupting the this thing called the blood-brain barrier that blocks chemotherapy from getting into the brain, uh, which is inherent to the way the vessels work of the brain. And he's come up with these really creative strategies, both with catheters and with new kinds of operations to disrupt that, to be able to get more therapies into the brain. Um, and I think we're, we're making progress. I mean, it's, um, I don't know that, I don't think we'll cure glioblastoma in our lifetime, certainly not in mine, I don't think. But I think in our kid's lifetime, I would imagine that we, we will. It's a terrible, terrible, it's always, it unfortunately affects the, for whatever reason, it's, uh, it affects very high-function people more often than oh, most God. other. It's Here super I bad. I'm assuming I'm high-functioning. Bo Biden. Bo Biden, you know, Joe Biden's son died of glioblastoma. Is that? As an aside. And now, God, I just, there's so many things when it comes to the brain that freak me the fuck out. And the thought of like a, basically a tumor just having this bleed out to the rest of your brain. I'm a very clean person and to not be able to sweep up all the dust gives me extreme anxiety. And that just seems like a lot of brain dust that you cannot clean up. 
you know, I mean, I think, uh, you know what you should do when you come to New York is come watch a brain operation. But, um, I wear, do I wear scrubs? Yeah. Is Dr. McSteamy there? <laughs> we can arrange that. Please. The true story I went to Grey's Anatomy set three years ago with my daughter. She How do you just huge... drop this in an hour in, Doc? So, my a friend of mine is their medical consultant. So, I took my daughter and her friends to Grey's. And we're, we're, we're in the kind of area where they have all like the, the legs and all these putty body parts. And Ooh. Ellen, uh, what's her name? Ellen uh, DeGeneres? Pompeo. Ellen Pompeo. Ellen Pompeo. I was like, DeGeneres is like, hey, guys. <laughs> Ellen Pompeo and uh, what's her, the other uh, woman, black woman, come, oh, come oh. in. And that, they, yeah, my, daughter, yeah, yeah, yeah. my daughter sees them. She starts to cry. <gasps> and she said, and Ellen Pompeo says to my, my daughter, she goes, I'm a much better doctor than your than your dad. I have a video of this. So, but um, yeah, that really happened. So you can come and we'll set you up in scrubs and you'll be all set. That would be amazing. I would honestly love. I I, I may have to be far, somewhat far away from all of the actual things that are happening. Like maybe there's a screen and I'm. I've yeah, never. Do it. I, I've never been anywhere near a surgery whatsoever in my life. Especially a yeah, well, it would brain. be cool. It would be awesome. My wife just walked in. Hey, wifey, what's up, girl? <laughs> I love her beachwear. You live in the best life. Yeah, we're having fun. We have two um, dogs too. How about one more question? So you and your wife sure. can enjoy your Friday. No problem. <sighs> yeah, this is there's uh, man. There's okay. I'm gonna let you answer the one you want to answer because there's three ones, three questions that I think are are good. Okay. Um, what do you think about Neuralink or what are three things you can't live without or does smoking weed every day have serious long-term effects on the brain, which I think we kind of answered. I wouldn't smoke weed every day. That's I'm rude. And the, I feel triggered. My wife, wife says she, she would, would. <laughs> and I'm going to marry her. So, hope. Uh, so no, I don't think that's a good idea, but moderation's fine. Every day is a little aggressive. You're a doctor. You three, have to say that. And I respect it. Three things. What was it? Three things you can't live without. If three one is not I, your wife, who I now all of a sudden cannot live without, I'm leaving. Uh, my wife's definitely one thing I can't live without. The second <laughs> thing is probably my beach house to get the God heck bless. out of here. You need you need and, a space. And, a, and the third thing is uh, is my partners at work. I, I don't think I'd want to ever you know leave them, no matter what I do. So for sure, so that's that. And yes, I believe Neuralink's a great technology. Um, it's got a lot of press because of Elon Musk getting behind it, which is, you know, I think blessing and a curse. But it, it is the future. I mean, putting these little devices into the blood vessels, the veins of the brain, leaving them there as sort of internal sensors is a really unique concept and is likely to be uh, really be the source of sort of the next generation of neurotherapeutics. Um, They'll be, able to, they'll be stimulatory, they'll be diagnostic, they'll be both therapeutic and diagnostic. Uh, it's very exciting stuff. And the, the, the unfortunate thing, though, is, you know, when I went into neurosurgery, it was the beauty of opening the brain and seeing it and all the anatomy. The future is very different. We're not going to be opening the head. People are going to look back at us 100 years like, these guys are crazy. What they were doing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, taking the whole skull <laughs> off. Exactly. It's You're like, right. What were they, what were they thinking? You yeah. Know? So, but you know that the the because 
that's where we were. And uh, we are let, we are going to get devices and technologies that allow us to do more and more without opening the head. And that's only good for mankind. And it won't be as much fun, but you know, it's certainly it's certainly better for the patient than uh, hold hard steel. So, well, uh, I, I honestly I appreciate your time, and I think about what you contribute to society, and your whole approach to your life and your careers, filled with so much passion and progressive thought, and collaborative a collaborative approach to creating solutions and embetterment for people's lives. What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to leave behind? I want my kids to be proud of me. That's really sweet. I felt the same way about my dad. And I know both of our dads would be very proud of us. I mean, I am making people laugh and you're making sure that they have the brain power to do that. So basically you and I are saving humanity. Yeah. In our own individual ways. In our own individual ways. And don't underestimate what you're doing. You're, you're awesome. I mean, seriously. And I think, uh, seeing female comedians and taking it, taking the next level is that's great. You know, I think you, you have, you're, you're charting some real interesting territory. I'm sure you're aware of that. And I, I, I really look forward to seeing you live and following you now on Instagram. So well, thank you. I mean, honestly, that means a lot coming from you, uh, especially from the Avenue, your career and what you do with your life and, and your whole approach to, your calling. It means a lot to hear that. So thank you so much. And I appreciate your time and seeing your beautiful wife. And if you ever mess that up, I will step right in. And a lesbian, but I'll tell she her. She just sounds wonderful. Her and I will just be stoned every day at the beach house. Yeah, she's which we'll great. Get in the divorce. We will get the beach house. No, the she's super cool. You'd like her. She would like you too. <laughs> I bet we would love each other, yeah. but thank you so much. And before we go, where can people contribute uh, brain turns? Is there any information you want to promote? Where can they find you and, and um, become Lennox a part Hill of the neurosurgery website? You can go on um, where we, we have all of our, our faculty there the, the you know, seven of us now are on there. Um, we have, uh, there's the easy play. If you want to make a donation, that'd be great. Not necessary. Uh, send patients to us. That's the best way to donate. We're the best in the world. We really give a crap. We are empathetic and world-class and we uh, intend to say, try to save as many people as we can. We can't do it unless patients come to us and it's competitive to get patients. We know nobody better than us. So um, please uh, consider us uh, as a sort, not just me, but our whole team. And I'm on Instagram and, and Twitter. Uh, I think it's like Dr. D Langer or something like that. You know, uh, I tend to uh, use that into, you know, I, I'm on it relatively often, but, uh, you can be, please follow me and, and also Lennox Hill Neurosurgery, John Bookfar, uh, Raf Ortiz on Twitter, Mitch Levine's on both, Jason Ellis on both, uh, Randy D'Amico, our youngest member, is on both. He's a terrific, super great guy. Um, and plus our team up in Westchester, Dave Gordon and uh, Yafel Rule. We have two women neurosurgeons, uh, Sarai Motaval and Renika Lod. So, so awesome. Awesome. The new chairman out, North Shore, Dan Shuba, who's a superstar from Johns Hopkins. So we're we have a, we have a great group of people we work with and uh, we can really handle anything. So please feel, you know, if you know of anybody who needs neurosurgery or questions are the Northwell team in Atlanta and whether it's Atlantic or on Long Island, it's, it's just a great group of people. Well, thank you so much. And cheers to you. A little tequila. Toast. I only have a little left. Well, me too. Just me. You're terrific. And thank you for inviting me and, Hopefully we'll see you in October at city at city market tickets for you guys. I can't wait to meet you and to not try to not barf from behind a very thick shield of, of plastic or glass away from you. You you better be funny. 
If I'm dragging my ass down there. You better slice correctly. You better be funny. <laughs> Thank you so much, doctor. It was All great right. to talk to you. Okay, bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.